0: You're listening to Simulcast, a podcast about healthcare simulation. So welcome to Simulcast. I'm Victoria Brazzle and today we've got the next in our episode of collaboration with advances in simulation. And I'm going to be discussing a paper that's titled How to Include Medical Students in Your Healthcare Simulation Centre Workforce. And this is a paper by Sandra Viggers uh, with her collaborators, Doris Ostergaard and Peter Deekman. And I'm also joined by Rowan Dyes to discuss this paper. And this is from January 2020, Advances in Simulation, And I'm joined by, first of all, no other than the first author, Sandra Viggers. How are you, Sandra? I am fine. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it's my pleasure to have you here, Sandra, and it's probably well overdue. Uh, But for our listeners who might not know you, Sandra is an anesthesia trainee in Copenhagen, Denmark. Uh, And she herself, as she'll explain to us, really grew up in the simulation center that's featured in this article, right from when she was a nursing student, even before she did medicine. And in fact, uh, I got to know her when she was a medical student working in the simulation center. And as I recall, we did a remote simulation and debriefing exercise which was so much fun. Uh, I also know Sandra from her work at SMAC and uh, in that spirit she's also part of the SCAN Foam group so free open access medical education from the Scandinavian folks. Uh, Does that do you justice do you think Sandra? I think it does yes. (laughs) Excellent and uh, Rowan, another great friend who I haven't heard and, and another excellent contributor to the diversity of accents that we've got here on the podcast. Uh, Rowan's an anesthetist from um, Cape Town in South Africa, uh, where he works at the University of Cape Town Department of Anesthesia and Perioperative Care. He's also director in the University of Cape Town Global Surgery and the lead for the University of Cape Town Drager African Development Unit. How are you, Rowan?
1: I'm really good. Thanks, Vic. Thanks for reading all of my titles. They're very important, all of them.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know you're just the kind of guy that really cares about that stuff, aren't you? All right. So uh, let's talk about this paper. So this is an innovation report, which is a pretty popular category in advances in simulation, because it's where you get to read about interesting stuff, even if it's not written up in a sort of very traditional research uh, framework. So Sandra, you're the first author. Why don't you give us a little bit of a uh, background here? Um, Why write a paper like this? Yeah, that's a good question. And
2: um, actually, I didn't think it was necessary to write a paper like this. As you said in your introduction, I kind of grew up in the simulation center, working in sim, employing sim in my education. I've done that ever since I started nursing school. So for me, it was very common for students to participate in sim and be involved in the education around simulation. And as I started to travel um, with my work at KAMES, attending conferences, presenting posters and so on, I started to realize that students involved in SIM was not that common. So I just started thinking about that people, they need to know about this. They need to know what we do. And Peter and Doris, who have been driving this whole process, of course, agreed And so we decided to write a paper on this.
0: Mm, And that's really interesting, isn't it? And just to delve into that before we get into the paper, what do you think was different about the group that was there in Copenhagen that's been doing this so long ago? Why Was it culturally so normal for students to start to be involved there where um, I feel like Maybe Rowan and I might venture that we had different experiences when we started. What was different, do you think? So I think the whole idea of incorporating medical
2: students in the workforce is very common in Denmark. If you think back to the polio epidemic, it's actually where it all started. Um, We had all these patients that needed um, hand ventilating. So in Denmark, we came up with the idea of um, using medical students to this job. And from that it grew. And then it just became a common thing that you, as you enter medical school, um, can take different courses that will educate you into working in the cardiology department or the ICU or a whole as a surgical assistant and so on. So to incorporate that into the simulation center as well was just, it was obvious for us to just take that next step.
0: Yeah. And this is very interesting. And Rowan, I might get your input here because that means the medical students are rather positioned differently within the health service to certainly what I feel like I had and where I even think our medical students are now. Uh, Rowan, I've certainly worked with many South African doctors and I feel like they're extraordinarily capable early on. But um, do you think medical students have similar or different positioning uh, where you work in Cape Town?
1: Thanks, Vic. And thanks, Sandra, for writing the paper. Um, I do think the positioning is uh, slightly different. I mean, I I, I hear you on um, this ideal in the South African context of producing medical students who are capable of of being thrown into the deep end in the clinical sense and can do stuff. And so much of the, the um, medical curriculum is around get the knowledge into their heads and then get them being able to do the practical things that they need to do. But there's not a lot of autonomy around choosing what you want to learn, choosing how you progress uh, through your undergrad and choosing what you look like when you emerge. And that for me is striking, just the level of autonomy um, and responsibility that students take for their own journey and learning in uh, the Danish and other Scandinavian programs.
0: Yeah, so I think even before we start here, this is um, a nice picture of how the positioning of medical students does influence their learning. It sounds like both of you have got systems that maybe the students are more embedded in delivery earlier than I would say we are in Australia. Uh, But at the same time, there's cultural norms related to how much is there autonomy or otherwise. Uh, Sandra, extra things from you there?
2: Yeah. um, So what Rowan said just made me think about, as I, as you mentioned in the beginning, I spoke at SMAC about how students can choreograph their own education. And that also comes very much out of my time in SIM, Um, And I think maybe... One of the things that are very that we're very aware of in Denmark is that it's not only knowledge in to learn, it's also knowledge out and more than just that you're able to perform, but that you must really know what you're doing and you must be able to apply it in different contexts and settings. And we work on that from very early on.
0: Hmm. All right, so with that sort of backdrop, we'll bring ourselves back to the paper now, and you start with an introduction and you give some description, which I will just go into briefly because not everybody is aware of the fame of the simulation centre that you have there in Copenhagen, Uh, but you're describing a program in which students participate as quite central um, assistance providers, delivery agents, debriefers, uh, supporters, strategists within the Copenhagen Academy for Medical Education and Simulation. And looking through the paper, students have been involved in this since 2001, which is a long time, and obviously that also speaks to the maturity of the simulation program there itself. And for simulcast listeners who might not know, CAMES has... Uh, great reputation both for the delivery of simulation as well as a lot of academics and scholarship that comes out of there. Uh, And then the next thing you go on here is to start talking about how you recruit and train medical students to be involved. And uh, you describe particularly, this is a pretty big commitment from what I can tell, they get recruited in their second year of a six-year program. And uh, it sounds like they already start to select themselves into different parts of the centre uh, depending on where their career interests might be, so that those of us interested in, say, emergency medicine and critical care might be more interested in scenario-based learning. Surgical, um, Surgically interested students might get more involved in part-task trainers and procedural simulation. Uh, so tell me more, Sandra. This um, It really does look like a big commitment, and these students have to be pretty motivated.
2: Yeah, so there is actually um, different interesting topics to discuss in And from what you just said, Nick, for one, KAMES is a big center. So when you read the paper and you read about um, the amount of work and the amount of roles and the amount of students, it's easy to get impressed and maybe a little bit scared on how to copy this in your own institution. But then remember, it started in 2001. It's had 19 years. We are actually two. We are one center, but located in two locations. Um, the location I'm at have about 40 students and if you add the second center we get to 90. So this is really really big but it has had it has had time to grow to this size and I think that is important to remember. And then as you said um, we try to take students interest into consideration in terms of what will they spend their time doing in the sim. But As they start medical school in Copenhagen, within the first week, they will have attended a course taught by other students from CAME. So they get introduced to this center from the very beginning. And in that way, those students teaching them basic life support skills, which is the course they're having in the first week, they already get role models and they get people they want to be like. So from that very point in time, they actually are aware of CAME's. And they know that this is somewhere you can go to work. So I think that mm-hmm. is the foundation of our, our continuous recruitment success.
0: Yeah. So um, it's an expectation on the student side, um, but wow, impressive workforce addition that you've got there from the point of view of delivery. And Rowan, I know you live in a somewhat more constrained simulation program than uh, Sandra's describing at Kames, as do most of the rest of the world. Uh, Wouldn't you dream to have this level of uh, workforce augmentation?
1: Uh, Absolutely. Um, It's it's huge. And when I talk to people who are looking to establish simulation programs the first question they ask is what kit should i buy and my first answer to them always is buy a human you know get yourself some workforce um because that's continually what people express as the rate limiting factor so to have used such an innovative method to gain workforce and skilled workforce right like these are people who can go away and learn stuff and and grow and develop and be really uh, um, skilled content and simulation technique experts experts in the program so really innovative disruptive work
0: and that's actually a nice pivot into the next thing about what kind of skills do these students acquire you're listening to simulcast So in the paper there, you describe here, Sandra, table two talks about the kind of development that students get and how they really do start with things like how do you help out with the admin tasks of the centre, then some real basics around confidentiality, psychological safety, how equipment works, things like learning to be an actor, learning to do moulage. Uh, But then you go on to... I suppose the things we might see more commonly in instructor training, how to do debriefing, how to do peer-to-peer debriefing, some of the curricular development and research projects. I mean, this is really comprehensive uh, learning programs, Sandra. This must have taken a while to get that level of maturity. Um,
2: most definitely. And it wasn't like this on day one. We started out as technical assistance, and then it grew from there. And I think it probably also grew from there because students found it to be fun they became interested in it they became curious and as many institutions and many medical schools have you have to you have to participate in some kind of um research paper or do some kind of report for your bachelor's degrees and stuff like that and from that the research opportunities grew but it wasn't like that in the beginning so to begin with it was technical assistance for simulation. And I think you can incorporate that everywhere.
0: And uh, and I guess as a result of that training, there's another really nice table in the article here. And a fair bit of the text then goes on to really talk about the roles that these students play. And the way they're divided up in the table is As you say, first of all, just being helpers, opening and closing the centre, you know, looking after bookings, uh, then working as simulated patients and confederates, uh, technical operators, but then moving on and then becoming a teacher and being involved in peer assisted learning Uh, providing feedback, being a debriefer, and then uh, another column of the other roles, as you say, in research, curriculum development, you know, really leadership-type roles in medical education and beyond. And I think you were making a comment on this, Rowan. It just goes to show a fair bit of maturity that I think sometimes maybe we just don't expect of medical students, uh, but which certainly were evident in this uh, paper. What do you think, Rowan?
1: Yeah, I mean... um... I was first introduced to Sandra when she was on stage at SMAC Dublin. And like many of us, you know, the SMAC events were transformative. But sitting in the lecture theatre there was a real, uh, it was kind of a a bit of a watershed moment for me on on a journey into medical medical education. And then to understand that I was being led on this journey and inspired on this journey by somebody who was still a medical student. (laughs) It was was boggling, right? (laughs) I don't want to denigrate our students. I mean, some of our students are struggling with huge maturity against socioeconomic challenges or uh, political challenges. But absolutely, uh, we don't see the kind of taking charge of their own learning. You know, let, let's be fair, uh, the, the students respond to the curriculum, and they respond to the uh, assessments that we write for them. And so they, they kind of we mold them into the, the beasts that they are. And I just wonder if we, you know, the power of approaching the students in a different way and saying, and giving them the autonomy over their own learning um, and how that changes what your what your output.
0: Yeah, I agree. And just before I get Sandra to respond to that, I guess I'll give our own experience because about the same time as you published this paper, we had a paper in BMJ Stell about our, I would say more modest, but Nevertheless, I've found really surprisingly successful seven-week elective we have for our medical students in simulation education. Maybe not to the extent described here, but I've been so impressed by if you give a little bit of autonomy and responsibility what you receive back from those students. And, in fact, they were co-authors on on our paper as well. Uh, But a bit like you, and I don't know, maybe it's just Sandra, maybe it's not the program, but, uh, you know, Sandra contacted me out of the blue and said, hey, let's do a simulation together between Denmark and Australia and I'll set it up and you can debrief our team from over there, can't you? And I thought, wow, the <laughs> footspah of this medical student. its amazing. All right, Sandra, uh, tell us, what's the secret? Is it just you or is it everybody? No, it's not just me. I do
2: think there is a point in terms of the socioeconomic situation that you're in. Remember that we also have a very privileged education system in Denmark. We do get paid to go to medical school. Not enough that we can live of it, but we do get paid. That means that some of the stress, some of the time you would perhaps um, dedicate to working outside of medical school or just being stressed about the whole situation you're in, we can dedicate to learning and we can direct it into whatever learning we want to choreograph for ourselves. If you do it, make it under fair conditions. This shouldn't be based on volunteer work. This is a real job. I do believe that we can choreograph our own education. I said it on stage and I will repeat it here today. The education system today in elementary school and so on very is much more humanistic than when you guys went to school. So these kids are used to being responsible in at least to some extent for their own education. They know how to design their own curriculum. They won't get to the end of it if they're not taught reflection along with that but i I do think that we can set the curriculum a bit more free and just see what happens. I think they're capable.
0: Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. I think whatever we get out of these medical students, the simulation providers, they're going to be better learners as well. And uh, just to be really clear, I'm pretty sure Rowan is a fair bit younger than me, so they might want to uh, compare our (laughs) (laughs) our trajectories. You're listening to Simulcast. Sandra, before we, you know, before we get too glowing here. Uh, There must be some stories that don't end well. Are there people that drop out and why do they drop out? Uh, Do you have some some non-successes? I'm
2: pretty sure we do. Not all 90 of us become PhDs at CAMES. Some just work there and at some point they find out that they don't want to work there anymore and they go and do something different. And that is okay. That is like every other system, every other program. You don't, you're going to be in a little bit of, trouble if you recruit 100% all the time. But they still learn things that they can take with them as clinicians or whatever specialty or program or job they end up in. They will have learned things about learning in simulation that are beneficial for them and society and their future workplace.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Just on that point, do you keep data on what kind of career choices or ongoing sort of medical education roles these students have? Do you have a sense of that? Actually, we don't, but that would be quite interesting. Mm, yeah, well, you, it's mean, a good idea. you need a follow up paper, won't you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think the other thing that just that comment of yours raised as well, and certainly it was uh, central in our paper, is the concept of also creating a community of practice and engaging learners, teachers, and students, uh, surrounding them, as you said right at the beginning, with role models and people with a sort of professional orientation related to education uh, that is helpful to them as much as any explicit learning that they might get. So I do think that's probably relevant uh, as well. All right. We might sort of start to wrap up here. And so I'm interested in a couple of things uh, and Rowan, I might get you to go first, but just any other sort of thoughts on the paper. And then what do you think we should sort of take away running simulation programs across a whole variety of contexts? Not all are going to be like CAMES, but I'm pretty sure there's something here for everybody. Uh, Rowan, what do you think?
1: So I think, um, thanks, Vika. I think my overall impression from, from both papers uh, relates to this idea of the hidden curriculum involving early career healthcare practitioners in making decisions around their own growth, development, education and that of their peers and colleagues. And sure, I think it's a really powerful message to give uh, young learners. I, I'd be quite interested to hear from Sandra and from you, Vic, in your paper at... If you had to look at the, the benefits that your system gained, um, not only just the workforce and um, because you had that particular group of people in the system, were there particular benefits that they brought? I'm thinking about you know young disruptive thinkers. How did they change games?
2: We changed the way they think about education in terms of incorporating the flipped classroom, in terms of arranging summer schools with the university in terms of just adding more fun and games to teaching.
0: Yeah, and I would say the same thing. We've certainly had lots of incremental things our medical students have brought into our sim programs. Uh, But I think more than anything, Rowan, what they're doing is starting a bit of a trend of being very advanced learners. And the more time I spend in this, the more I think we possibly should do slightly less faculty development and a lot more learner development slash preparation to make the most out of SIM, get them to suck stuff out of it rather than get faculty to pour stuff into it, if that makes sense. So I think um, it's a little bit about the cultural shift that I think we've made reference to earlier. Sandra, can I ask you to reflect a little bit more broadly, having written that paper, having been through that process? But also, I think being aware that CAMES is obviously at a very advanced place, what advice would you give to people who are thinking, wow, how could I get medical students involved in my SIM program?
2: Start start slow, start small. Go with where the interest is from the student. Um, For example, if you have a group of students that you wanted to incorporate into your uh, unit, Um, working and helping and assisting with simulation and teachings, you could start with practical skills, which is a very excellent way for them to also become better learners by teaching others and become subject experts in terms of teaching, for example, um, peripheral venous axis or something like that. So start slow, start small, and then have faith in your students that they will get interested and curious about how
0: to learn more for themselves and how to help improve our system. So just get started and then uh, rely on the pyramid selling to keep yeah. it going. Yeah, fantastic. All right. Uh, and any final comments from you, Ron?
1: I mean, I'm really challenged by this paper, I suppose. Uh, not only inspired, but I really feel like it's it's challenging my my frame on what we can expect from students and Um, how I look at ways to grow our program.
0: That's the best kind of paper, isn't it? It doesn't tell you what to think, it just tells you what to think about. Sandra? Just to follow up on your
2: comment about spoon-feeding people with knowledge and maybe that will help you, Rowan, in your decision on how to get started. If we think about learning, um, spoon-feeding people is comfortable for us, but maybe not the best way to ensure long-term learning. Instead, Go with the frustration you're feeling, Rowan, and see what, what will emerge if you start doing this and then help your students reflect because you, you are the expert in, on many of the topics. And, and that way helps shape them into become the responsible learners
0: and educators that you need in your system. Damn it, she's doing it again, Rowan. She's being inspiring and uh, helpful and coaching us.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure the, the layers of hidden curriculum are, are immense. Rowan, go <laughs> home and reflect on your on your behaviour. All right, Sandra. I'll do this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, look, I do want to thank you both. It's just been a great discussion, and uh, just to reiterate for those listening, this is Sandra Viggers, uh, Doris Ostergaard, and Peter Diekman paper titled, How to Include Medical Students in Your Healthcare Simulation Center Workforce. And this is in Advances in Simulation, uh, which is a journal that is free and open access. Uh, And at Simulcast, we have a collaboration with them in that spirit. And you can go to our website, uh, www.simulationpodcast.com, where you can find the link to the paper and also links to Sandra and Rowan and their Twitter profiles as well. So, look, thank you both for your time and uh, we'll look forward to our next instalment with advances and I'm going to look forward to seeing both of you at some point when we're back flying around the world again. Thank you, Vic, for having me and good to talk to you again, Rowan.
1: Yes, likewise. Lovely to chat to you both. Thank you for including me.
0: All right. This is Victoria Brazel signing off for Simulcast. You're listening to Simulcast, a podcast about healthcare simulation.